millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Professional sports people are asked to push themselves and the rules of the game to the limit. But when does gamesmanship, or trying to get an edge over your opponent, become cheating? John William Devine, a visiting lecturer in philosophy at King's College London, has a research interest in this field, exploring what types of enhancement, physical, technological or pharmaceutical, should be allowed in sport. I started by asking him the more general question, what is the purpose of sport? Well, it might be that there, there isn't a single purpose in sport, but that the purpose differs, either between sports or between different levels of sport. So figure skating might well have a different purpose than rugby. Uh, and similarly, sport at the elite level might well be different to sport at the recreational level. Sport at the re- recreational level seems valuable because it promotes health and it's fun and maybe even uh, assists in character formation. So there's a sort of moral purpose there. Whereas sport at the professional level is primarily based around winning, so fun is not an element. And very often professional sport is bad for athletes' health. So it's not health-promoting in the way that it is at the recreational level. So it may appear that sport doesn't have a single purpose that runs through it, because all of these different purposes between sports and within sports may be different. But it seems to me that there is an intrinsic value that runs through all sports. And this is the value of displaying certain kinds of excellence, that the rules in sport challenge participants to display excellence or other qualities of body, mind and spirit. Now, the excellence is that each sport requires the athletes to display may be different. Paul O'Connell's excellence as a rugby player may be quite different from Katie Taylor's excellence as a boxer. But what is it? The common thread that runs through every sport is that the rules narrow what you can do in such a way that it requires you to display these admirable traits, whether uh, physical, mental or strategic excellences. And if you take that viewpoint, how does that shape ethical questions within sport? With regard to any kind of enhancement, whether it's a change to racket technology or to boot technology or or, or whatever, an important question to ask is whether that enhancement will undermine the display of the excellences that that sport is about. So if a sport is revolving around the athletes in the sport displaying certain kinds of physical excellence, does doping then undermine the display of those excellences? Or it may well be that doping has an impact on how the sport is played in a way that is undesirable from the perspective of the, uh, the values that underpin the sport. And so you can see this, if I'm just to take an example of, of, of how racket technology might have had a similar impact. You can see in the sport of tennis, during the 90s, there was, uh, at Wimbledon in particular, there was a, a, a dominance by players who had very big serves, very fast and accurate serves. And so rallies were quite short. And you saw in Wimbledon the dominance of people like Pete Sampras and Richard Krychek and, and, and even Isovich meant that players who were, whose game was based more around ground strokes and more strategic nows weren't really in a position to excel. There was those kinds of excellence were valued in the sport and perhaps partly as a result, they slowed down the balls and slowed down the courts to encourage more baseline play. 
that is to allow people who displayed those excellences that weren't proving successful under the faster conditions to, uh, to win and to encourage those. So it, in, the, in the doping question, it may be that benefits that are typically derived from performance-enhancing drugs revolve around strength and speed, and that may have an impact on how a sport is played. It may encourage, for instance, crash-bang kind of rugby, or it elevates certain kinds of physical excellences, at least, to a higher level of importance, perhaps at the expense of other cognitive abilities that, 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 that we might admire in sport. So how doping actually affects sport and the connection to the balance of excellences within it will depend on each individual sport. So one of the kind of implications of this view is that we should try to determine doping controls on a sport-by-sport -sport basis, that a uniform approach to it won't work because different sports have different excellences or are about different excellences. So uh, we have to take a more sports-specific approach to doping. And you mentioned, say, for instance, the crash-bang uh, style of rugby, which has become a lot more prominent now. Taking that, uh, is there a case, for instance, for the uh, governors of rugby to say, well, look, there are other excellences now being pushed out of the sport, like the little scrum half who used to nip around the edges of the scrum and so forth. Is it really a question you first have to decide what the excellences are, and then you drop the rules or adapt the rules for that. Yeah, it's certainly the case that the excellences provide the kind of foundation for the sport. So they provide us with the kind of grounding that we can use to argue about rule changes in a sport. And we see that all the time. So in the case of rugby, as you mentioned, if we change the rules around surrounding the uh, rucks and malls, then it may encourage uh, people to kick the ball away. You may, may be at an advantage if you're, a defensive, if, if you're playing in defence rather than if you have the ball in your hands. And so that can then encourage more defensive play or more attacking play, depending on how you define the rules around that, that area of the breakdown. But there's also a point that the excellences around which a sport is designed are susceptible to change. And very often the change occurs because of the kind of virtuoso performance or performers in the sport open up new possibilities for how the sport can be played. So you might see a kind of maybe a classic example is the Fosbury flop when Dick Fosbury adopted a whole new way of approaching the high jump. And that seemed to change what was then required of that in that sport. Or you can equally look at uh, someone like Roger Federer and the way he plays tennis opens up new possibilities for how it's done. And similarly, someone like Brian O'Driscoll maybe redefines what an outside centre should be. And so then we think of it differently. We think of what makes a good outside centre is broader now than it was before O'Driscoll played. Now it seems like it might involve many of the kinds of skills that an open side flanker would have. So there's a continual debate within sport as to what sport is about. And this informs much of the kind of arguments that we have about whether we should allow performance enhancing drugs or about whether we should allow some racket technology. So behind all of these debates is this kind of question about the excellences that inform the sport. In terms of cheating within a game itself, somebody who maybe does a foul off the ball that isn't spotted by the referee or handles the ball into a goal, is that legitimate within the, the game, within the ethical confines of, of the, the pitch, that it's okay as long as you don't get caught? The goals of sport are inextricably linked to the means of achieving those goals. So while we say the, the aim of, of playing soccer is to put the ball in the back of the net, that's certainly true. but it has to be achieved through certain means. So it's not simply good enough to pick up the ball and throw it into the back of the net. It has to be done using your feet or your head, while not fouling one of your opponents, while not breaking the offside rule. Um, so we can't understand the goal of sport without also understanding the means that are used to achieve it. So if you cheat, the implication is that you're using a means that isn't available within the rules. So in that sense, you've disconnected the means of achieving the goal from the goal itself. There's then a question of whether you're having 
supposedly achieve the goal is meaningful, whether it's worthwhile. And it's not clear to me that it is, because the goal is only valuable, or the achievement of the goal is only valuable when it's achieved through the, through the means that are available to competitors to pursue the goals. So you may enjoy the fruits of victory, having cheated, so you may enjoy the prize money and the medals and so on, but the question is whether that is a meaningful victory or not. And if you cheat, that is, if you employ means that aren't available within the rules, uh, my suspicion is that it's, it's not a meaningful victory. So there is something as such as a moral victory. I know it's sometimes it's, a, it's an inadequate uh, solace or comfort to fans or to, or to players, but do you think that's a genuine concept? Yes, I guess that the moral victory might mean either of two things. One, it might mean that you have demonstrated honour in defeat, that there's something honourable about how you played the game in terms of your performance, or it could mean something more, more specific, that you played the game within the ethical limits of the game. So a moral victory, may, in the first understanding, a moral victory may be that you played excellently but just didn't do enough to win, where in the second understanding it may be that you, it says nothing of how well you played, but all it says is that you played within the rules. So I, on the first understanding, that is uh, the understanding whereby you play excellently but don't win, there can be a great deal of value there because you've, you may have demonstrated your capacity to uh, display a great range of sporting excellences to a very high degree, but on the day your opponent may have demonstrated even more well-developed excellences. But that's not to say that there isn't an intrinsic value in the performance even if it's not a winning performance. Is there a growing interest in, among philosophers, among professional philosophers in sport uh, as a genuine subject of interest? The philosophy of sport is, is a relatively small area within professional philosophy. There are two professional journals, but it tends not to attract the kind of uh, the big names within philosophy. It tends not to attract attention from them. It wouldn't be considered within the mainstream of professional philosophy, um, which is a shame. I'm not sure why that is. It may be that not many philosophers are very good at sport and don't have that interest, uh, or maybe just something else that is not seen to be fundamental enough uh, within the discipline. John William Devine, thank you. The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com.